Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. As I mentioned in the previous program, to my astonishment, there have been 758 people who have filed with the FEC, the Federal Election Commission, to run for president in the year 2020. And amazingly enough, a significant number of them, about a third of them, are Democrat candidates. Shocking to me that they wouldn't, you know, feel impressed enough, enthusiastic enough about the prominent Democrat candidates to get behind them. But no, instead, they're going to run for president themselves. Talk about a pipe dream. But among these 758 candidates that have filed, there is the president, Donald Trump, senior, incumbent, commander-in-chief, And he delivered this remarkable 4th of July address. Now, it has been typical in the past for presidents to take a bit of a back seat to the 4th of July Independence Day, so-called commemoration. But this president, for reasons of his choosing, decided to make a big deal about it in his own modest, low-key way. And I happened to comment on the first half of his 4th of July address in the previous program. I will conclude (laughs) with the remaining portion of his address in this program. But I am beginning now with a passage which was very near the end of his prepared remarks. Not prepared by him, prepared by speechwriters, handlers of the president. So to begin, and again, I am not going to use quotes, air quotes, any other kind of quotes. It should be fairly clear as far as when I am reading, quoting the words that the president delivered as compared to my comments pertaining to them. So to begin, we all share the same heroes, the same home, the same heart, and we are all made by the same almighty God. The spirit of American independence will never fade, never fail, but will reign forever and ever and ever. So, remarkable, 758 candidates that have filed with the Federal Election Commission as of the 1st of July, 2019. But they all share the same heroes, the same home, the same heart, that is the same spirit. And we are all made by the same almighty God. 
the same spirit, really. We all share the same eternal spirit because our spirit is eternal. If that were true, how do you explain a sodomite candidate, Pete Buttigieg, and his so-called husband, as one case in point? But the president waxed poetic, resorted to a great deal of poetic license and imagery to inspire the people. But inspiration, other than mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, inspiration is breathing life into one. And frankly, that is the province of God, not of man. But back to where I left off. The president stated that our nation has always honored the heroes who serve our communities, the firefighters, first responders, police, sheriffs, ICE, Border Patrol, EMTs, I suppose, and all of the brave men and women of law enforcement. Oh, yes. Yes, this is the brave new United States of America. It has been such a leap forward to have women in all of the law enforcement agencies, as in the military, Just a tremendous quantum leap forward for mankind. One small step that has resulted in these massive improvements for all of us. Really outstanding. On this July 4th, again I mentioned that he paid special tribute to those soldiers who fell in combat or what have you. They laid down their lives for our nation. The Gold Star families pertain to those whose sons have fallen in combat. But what about the families of those who have died in training accidents? whether in basic training or whether it happens to be in mid-air collision or or what have you. What about them? What about those who die while taking transport overseas or who die while being transported to the front line or to this base or that base? What about those who die from other Causes, disease, and so forth. And then what about those who have monstrously taken their own lives? Because of what they have suffered mentally, emotionally, spiritually, Physically, physically, 
being maimed and mutilated and destroyed. And perchance in intractable pain and many other terrible, terrible consequences of combat and typically those most grievously injured but whose lives are spared are those who have suffered from IEDs, improvised explosive devices and or mortars and so forth. But these who have laid down their lives, as he put it, for our nation, he immediately pivoted from that, from those who had given, again, poetically, what has been referred to in the past, in our documents, given the last full measure of their devotion. But then he pivots and he mentions that our country has been made ever greater by citizens who have risked it all for equality and justice. Well, who all, whom all does that include? That could be taken to mean the sodomite activists, the induced abortion activists, and so forth. Oh, but they've risked it all. (laughs) Oh, it is just, it is choice. It is precious. And again, followed that by stating that 100 years ago this summer, the women's suffrage movement led Congress to pass the constitutional amendment giving women the right to vote. And I commented on that previously about, yes, what wonderful strides forward have been achieved perchance, at least in part, because of that because of the women's vote. If you go back far enough, well, let me digress for a moment. We hear from these great women's rights activists, feminists, that those who were opposed to it, who didn't allow it, who didn't make provision for that, for women to vote, it's because they were terrible misogynists, terrible chauvinists, and so on and so forth. Right? Obviously. Wanting to deprive women of the vote. Well, no, it really was a matter of faith. Oh, yes, how backwards can we get? It was a matter of faith in God. In God's roles for men and women, and that the man was to be head of the wife, and that they were to be one. <laughs> that it was a mystery of God. So it made no sense. It made the opposite of sense 
for husband and wife to be voting separately and, perchance, in contradiction of one another, in opposition to one another. But we know better. We know better. We are advanced, sophisticated, modern people. And we know better. Even those who embrace Christianity in some way, shape, or form, they typically, again, have, you know, have reached elevated status uh, from which they can look down upon such ignorance and backwardness. So, but a couple of the most outstanding, outspoken, famous women leaders of women's suffrage, Susan B. Anthony and her sister-in-arms, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, known for their extreme opposition to slavery, to white slavery, legalized prostitution, and to induced abortion, which they referred to, Susan Anthony referred to it, to induced abortion, elective abortion, as a horrible crime of child murder. Elizabeth Cady Stanton, in an article entitled Child Murder, referred to induced abortion as a crying evil and an outrage against the laws of nature and our common humanity. And our president here was referring to, we, 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 we're all the same, we're one big happy family, one nation, united, united in purpose, united in spirit, united in everything. And lo and behold, here they said that induced abortion was a horrible crime of child murder, an outrage against the laws of nature and our common humanity, and a crying evil. And yet, these great women's activists of the past half-century plus, they insist, oh, no, 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 no. A preborn baby is an obligate parasite, and so forth. But these women, they were considered sophisticated, intellectual, brilliant, courageous, outstanding. Interestingly enough, statues of them have been kept hidden away in the basement of the Capitol building. For lo, these many years. Why would that be, do you imagine? Well, perhaps they might prove, oh, you know, a trifle embarrassing, troublesome to the anti-baby, anti-child, anti-woman, anti-marriage, anti-family, anti-church, anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Constitution, anti-truth, anti-justice, anti-love, anti-peace, anti-nation, administration, government, and all the vested interests. Perhaps. I mean, just, you know, I'll just take a flyer at that one. So, our president stated that 
not Martin Luther, Martin Luther, champion in the Reformation, but Martin Luther King Jr., that he stood here on these very steps. Yes, I've stood on them too, (laughs) and spoken, preached, yes, but called on our nation to live out the true meaning of its creed. What is the true meaning of its creed, Mr. President? Let freedom ring for every citizen all across our land. Well, that's really not the creed, but in any case, in a short time, we're going to have let freedom ring for every person who manages to come into this nation one way or another. All right. Not just freedom, but entitlements and everything else. Our president, your president, (laughs) my president, uh, but Donald Trump Sr., he stated that America's fearless resolve has inspired heroes who defined our national character. Let me repeat that. America's fearless resolve has inspired heroes. What is America? Is America an animate object? Is it an organism? Is it? What is it? Concept? What is it? What is America? America's fearless resolve. Okay, not faith in God, not faith in Christ. But America's fearless resolve has inspired, breathed the life into these heroes who then in turn define our national character, which is America's character, which was inspired by America's resolve. You have a fascinating (laughs) circle there. Okay, like a dog chasing its tail. Amazing. It's like the crazy excuses of scientific explanations of how this earth came into being and how you and I did. But they inspired George Washington and John Adams and Betsy Ross and on it goes. They were inspired by America's fearless resolve, not by God, not by Christ, not by the Bible, not by those who had gone before, not by the pilgrims, not by the Puritans, not by the worshipers of God who had preceded them. No. (laughs) Fascinating. It has willed it America's fearsome resolve has willed our warriors up mountains and so forth. It, America's fearless resolve, has liberated continents, split the atom, brought tyrants and empires to their knees. Fascinating. That America's fearless resolve that somehow came into existence 
all by itself. It then, in turn, inspired, breathed life into George Washington and John Adams and Betsy Ross and all of the founders, the founding fathers, so-called, who, in fact, owed the founding to the pilgrims and Puritans, but who then, in turn... defined our national character. Just, it's a remarkable fiction, but oh well. Moving right along, the president states the following. Today, just as it did 243 years ago, The future of American freedom rests on the shoulders of men and women willing to defend it. Now, the president has, rightly so, been (laughs) made fun of, shall we say, concerning his remarks about the continental army of George Washington manning the air and taking over the airports. It is funny. I mean, it really is beyond imagination that our president said that. Oh, and he blamed the teleprompter and what's on the teleprompter. Got news for you, Mr. President. You're responsible for that. You're responsible for what idiocy comes out of your mouth. It's your Baby, okay, you want to fire your speechwriters, go right ahead. It's your baby. But while they have made a great deal of fun about that and or scathing criticism, how about this? Just as it did 243 years ago. Nearly a quarter of a millennia ago. The future of American freedom rests on the shoulders of men and women willing to defend it. That's right, folks. That's right, children. That's right, young people. Women took up arms during the War of Independence. Women took up arms during the 1812 war. Women took up arms during the war between the states, the so-called Civil War. Women did. And on it goes, the Spanish-American War, the Mexican-American War, World War I, World War II, Korean War, Vietnam, women took up arms to defend, to defend what? To defend America? The Korean War, the Vietnam War were not about defending America, but except in the sense, (laughs) in this universal global sense of the, the theory concerning dominoes and so forth. But here again, our president, People who think he's conservative, people who think he's man of God, people who think he's the second coming of Ronald Reagan. 
He is promoting the same damnable lies of the extreme left as he did when he took over the most illustrious beauty pageants and promoted the sodomite agenda and punished, penalized young women who stood against it. But he's such a great man. Just as it did 243 years ago, the future of American freedom rests on the shoulders of men and women. And that's right, girls, if you're approaching your 18th birthday, you qualify and you should join the military. As he goes on to do, you know, I mean, the very next paragraph To young Americans across our country, now is your chance to join our military and make a truly great statement in life. And you should do it. That's for girls, teenage girls, the same as teenage boys. Back in the day, back when people were ignorant, you know, back in Israel of old, Do you know what the minimum age for military service was? Take a guess. Just, you know, you're probably thinking 14, 15, 20 years of age was the minimum age. But, oh well. (laughs) We had so many teenage boys and young men slaughtered. In the wars that America, that the United States of America has been a party to, has been involved in. So many that have been slaughtered, so many that have been maimed, mutilated, destroyed. So many that were barely 20 years of age or less than. But now let's include the girls and young women, because certainly it will not be more harmful for them to be disfigured, maimed, mutilated, defaced. It won't be as harmful for them as for men, or if it is as harmful, no more harmful, no more ruinous and destructive to their lives, right? And certainly, if they're caught by the enemy, it won't be any worse for them. Thank you, Mr. Commander-in-Chief, who dodged the Vietnam draft. Now, why did he do that? I mean, when he has such strong convictions about that this will make a truly great statement in life. Those are his words, courtesy of his speechmakers. Join our military. Now is your chance to join our military and make a truly great statement in life. And you should do it. But when the United States of America was at war against the communist regime of North Vietnam, while the communist regime of China and the communist regime of the Soviet Union were actively involved on behalf 
of the Viet Cong providing military weaponry, munitions, armaments, planes, pilots, officers. Donald Trump, for some reason, which I I just can't imagine what it would have been, he chose not to take the chance to join our military and make a truly great statement in life. I suppose he didn't feel he should do it, (laughs) but he says, and you should do it, you teenage girls and teenage boys. He was in college. You know, he could get deferment while he was in higher education. But look at the connections he had with his father, the wealth and connections. Do you mean to tell me that if he were to enlist, not be drafted, but enlist, that he couldn't have written his own ticket, that he couldn't have, with his brilliant intellect, which he has been so proud to boastfully claim to be endued with, that he couldn't have managed to have gotten into military intelligence or some such thing, that he couldn't have served his country from the Pentagon. (laughs) But he just dodged the whole thing. But anyway, fortunately for us, he was spared, (laughs) and he is the commander-in-chief. For over 65 years... No enemy Air Force has managed to kill a single American soldier because the skies belong to the United States of America. Where to begin? For over 65 years. Okay, so what that is saying is dating back to 1954 and before 1954, 65 years is 1954. So he says for more, for over 65 years. So back to, I don't know, where are we going back to? 1953, 1952, 51, 50? I'm not sure. But over 65 years. So it has to be at least 1953, I think. Unless it would be the first months of 1954. But for over 65 years, no enemy Air Force has managed to kill a single American soldier. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that no enemy aircraft has ever shot down an American aircraft during that time. That's one claim. Does it mean that no enemy aircraft has strafed an area on the ground resulting in deaths of soldiers? That's a separate claim. Or does it mean that no enemy aircraft has dropped a bomb 
resulting in the death of any Americans on the ground. That's another claim. Or does it mean that no enemy aircraft have committed some sort of kamikaze, you know, dive into ship or surface craft or ground forces or anything like that resulting in deaths? Or does it mean that no enemy artillery have shot down any American aircraft? Or does it mean that no enemy missile banks, missile commands have managed to lay a glove on any of our aircraft? I, I, you know, I, I'm mystified. I, I don't know. I can say this with absolute, utter, total certainty. That regardless which one of these options you take, let alone all of them put together, and artillery from ships and so forth, but take all of them together. Enemy aircraft in dogfights, enemy aircraft strafing, American soldiers, enemy aircraft dropping bombs, enemy aircraft shooting missiles, missile launchers on the ground shooting missiles, artillery on the ground shooting missiles at American aircraft. And the list goes on. Americans have died from all of these during the past 65-plus years. And then, of course, there are the matters of (laughs) Americans who have died, Americans in aircraft that have died from unbeknownst causes, as whether it was this, that, or the other, failure of the aircraft. But, I mean, going back to the Gulf War, Are you telling me there was never a pilot that was shot down, never a pilot, American pilot behind enemy lines, and that was never seen again? The the history here, the intellectual dearth displayed by this president is beyond shocking, and the claims that he makes are preposterous beyond (laughs) imagination. But it reminds me, if I may digress for one minute, it reminds me of his former press secretary. No, not Sarah Huckabee Sanders. No, Sean Spicer. Do you remember dear Sean? Mm, Do you? There were so many outrages that came out of his mouth. But do you remember him when he was speaking in support of us going against Bashar Assad of Syria. Do you remember? He stated categorically that even Hitler, as terrible as he was, that he never, 
ever used chemical warfare. Right? Never used chemical warfare. No. His Nazi Third Reich gassed millions of Jews and Christians and American POWs and so on and so forth, prisoners of war, and other prisoners of war. But he never used chemical warfare. That was from the presidential press secretary, Sean Spicer, who preceded Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I think he was a good fit for this president, don't you? But his final claim in this one sentence of, for over 65 years, no enemy Air Force has managed to kill a single American soldier. Okay, So whether that Air Force, again, was aircraft or was ground installations in the form of artillery, missile launchers, so forth, or on ships, No enemy Air Force has managed to kill a single American soldier because, because the skies belong to the United States of America. It reminds me of the statement from the communist Chinese PR woman, when she was speaking against President Trump's Space Force (laughs) initiative, stating that the United States of America does not own space or outer space. And here, our president explicitly says, the skies belong to the United States of America. Just breathtaking. He goes on to say, perhaps you remember what President Reagan said regarding that terrible Apollo disaster. And he gave an address to the nation and it was beautiful. And I believe that he wrote it He typically did. He had a hand in the writing and the craftsmanship of everything that he wrote. And what he spoke that was not directly written by him was still cobbled together from what he had previously written and spoke, broadcast, uttered. But Here, this line reminds me so much of Reagan, and I'm sure it's by no accident. No enemy has attacked our people without being met by a roar of thunder and the awesome might of those who bid farewell to earth. Those who bid farewell to earth. It is... (laughs) It is... Reagan-esque, to say the least. It is not Trump-esque, okay? No, it's not hack 
rider-esque. It, <laughs> those who bid farewell to earth and soar into the wild blue yonder. Off we go into the wild blue yonder. The anthem of the Army Air Corps, now Army Air Force, then finally Air Force. But the president went on to say, nobody could beat us. Nobody could come close. Nobody could beat us. Nobody could come close. Now, some will object to that and say, well, what about Vietnam? Hmm? What about Vietnam? Richard Milhouse Nixon's peace with honor, his detente, not just with the Soviet Union, but with communist China, courtesy of Dr. Strangelove, Henry Kissinger. The truth is, despite the casualties, despite the suffering, the American military was not defeated in Vietnam. But back home here, the American media, the media machine in Hollywood, the press, the demagogic, immoral press that Joseph Pulitzer warned against, it beat the drums of defeat. It played Tokyo Rose nationwide. And Richard Milhouse Nixon, he chose to cut and run, peace with honor, panic retreat from South Vietnam, leaving the South Vietnamese people who in so very many cases had very heroically, gallantly, bravely fought the concerted communist powers of North Vietnam, communist China, and Soviet Union to a dead stop. But we left them to be butchered. And in turn, we got to have commerce with communist China. We got to be impoverished by communist China. Just so wonderful. But seeing Nixon clinking glasses or flutes there with bloody Mao, what a wonderful, wonderful, stellar moment for this great nation. Nobody could beat us. Nobody could come close, boasts Trump. He makes these incredible, grandiose statements. If we go back to the war for independence, were it not for providential intervention, meaning were it not for God's miraculous intervention, that war would have ended very quickly and very differently. Meanwhile, the war between the states, well, 
I'll save that until I get there in his address. Nobody could beat us. Nobody could come close. Nobody could come close. Tell that to the families of the men who were destroyed in World War I, World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War, and those who have never been recovered from Vietnam. America's sailors are not born, they are forged by the sea. When old glory crests the waves of foreign shores, every friend and every foe knows that justice sails those waters. So poetic. Justice, the likes of which we do not have in the United States of America. I'm not referring to these idiotic claims of the various blacktivists and so forth. I'm referring to our incredibly horrendously broken justice system that allows girls and young women and young mothers to be slaughtered and destroyed and does not even avenge their deaths, let alone preventing them. But he mentions the Marines and the first overseas battle vanquishing Barbary pirates on the shores of Tripoli. He fails to mention, however, that those Barbary pirates were Muslims, Islamists, or Islamists, Muslims, who were murderously preying upon American merchant ships and crews and slaughtering them, holding them for ransoms and slaughtering them. (laughs) He doesn't either make mention of the fact of the leatherneck collars that he references, that they were to protect Marines from being beheaded. But, again, we don't want to say anything offensive about Islam. After the 1983 Marine barracks bombing in Beirut, which claimed the lives of 241 great U.S. servicemen, Now, I can't speak concerning those 241 individual Marines. I can't. As far as them being great servicemen, I use that term great very moderately, very little, very occasionally, instead of continually and at every opportunity. But I know this, that if I'd been in the military at that time, If I'd been in the Marines, I would have refused to go. Why would you do that? Oh, that's easy for you to say, that you'd refuse to go. Really? You would do that? Be court-martialed? I would have refused to go because Ronald Reagan, who happens, in my view, to easily be the most outstanding president we've had in a very long time, and it doesn't take much to be that, he outrageously prevented Israel from dealing justice, a form of justice, a mild form of justice, a belated form of justice, to Yasser Arafat and his 40,000-strong Islamist, terrorist, rapist, torturer, murderers who had been surrounded in Beirut. But 
President Reagan demanded Israel not touch them, that Israel give them safe egress, and he sent this contingent of Marines to ensure that Israel would do that, to ensure their safety, and they were bombed by Hezbollah from Iran. And their bloodshed is directly due to Reagan's actions, outrageous actions. I would have voted to impeach Ronald Reagan, and he's my favorite president of the past century. But he goes on to say concerning these Marines, the Marine Corps, they are the elite masters of air and land and sea on battlefields across the globe. They are the elite masters of air and land and sea. A lot of outstanding, courageous Marines, but come on, talk about hyperbola here. And it it actually insults other (laughs) uh, branches of the military and units within the military. He made mention of the Army Rangers scaling the cliffs of Normandy while they had knives and rifles in hand. Mountain climbing with knives and rifles in hand. It's poetic. Then he mentions about ISIS, that the army liberated Fallujah, Mosul, helped liberate and obliterate the ISIS caliphate just recently in Syria, 100% gone. He fails to mention that very much of the bloodiest fighting was done by Kurds, by Kurdish fighters. And ISIS may be gone from there, but it is far from eliminated. And then he goes on to say that the army, they are the greatest soldiers on earth. What about the Marines, who are the elite, you know? the elite masters of air and land and sea. But the army are the greatest soldiers on earth. He then goes on to say, as long as we stay true to our cause, as long as we remember our great history, as long as we never, ever stop fighting for a better future, then there will be nothing that America cannot do. Raw, raw. Complete falsehood. This glorification of man, this glorification of America is glorification of man. Nothing we cannot do. We will always be the people who did this, that, and the other. The future belongs to us. The future belongs to the strong, the proud, the flesh of the arm. We are one people chasing one dream, one magnificent destiny. Really? We are this one united people, huh? Wow. Outstanding. We all share the same heroes. Really? Well, some here in America hold Muhammad that evil, monstrous destroyer bent on the annihilation of Christianity and Jewry as their ultimate hero. Some in the military, 
That's right, some in the military. Former CIA director and so forth, and former president. We all share the same heroes, the same home, the same heart, and we are all made by the same almighty God, really. Yes, they have partaken of our home. Made by the same almighty God. I'm not in agreement with that. But in any case, they do not worship or serve the same God. The spirit of American independence will never fade, never fail, but will reign forever and ever and ever. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away, Mr. President. So said Jesus Christ. God bless you. God bless the military. And God bless America could have come out of Jimmy Carter's mouth. Barack Hussein Obama's mouth, Bill Clinton, Hillary Rodham Clinton's mouth. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.